Catherine Bennett. I really enjoyed talking to Catherine. Well, she, they are so fascinating. Excuse me. Catherine started uh, 16 years old, went into college, graduated high school at 15, grew up in Japan, military family. Uh, I want to say 10, 10 years uh, of their youth was, was in uh, Japan, uh, graduated early, went to college, unfortunately found some, you know, some alcohol in college, went in a direction and fought her way back out of it, kind of hit bottom, turned it all around. Catherine has two world records in strongman competition now. Catherine also is deeply involved with sales, has a platform that helps uh, business people in sales, but absolutely inspiring. Catherine's videos on, on Instagram and TikTok, Catherine's Description, unhinged, non-binary, chronically ill, sober, queer. A wonderful collection of, uh, of adjectives that describe uh, Catherine perfectly. We also talk about discipline and where, it, where Catherine feels, where they feel it fits in, in their life. And I, I was, I'm so inspired by, by what Catherine has to say, what what Catherine does uh, strongman competition what the two the two championships you'd be amazed at by the way um, also TED talk an author uh, just accomplishment after accomplishment uh, how Catherine came out how they came out you're not going to believe where by the way where it happened where they decided to do it. Um, wonderful conversation. Catherine Bennett, I know you're going to enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Catherine Bennett, great pleasure. Thanks so much for being here. How would everybody... How would society, how would the world be if we could better embrace the suck? If we could better embrace the suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so many of us just kind of just kind of try to avoid discomfort, don't we? Um, and it's really in that uncomfortable space where we're able to grow. And I think that, you know, that concept of embrace the suck comes out of the military tradition, right? Of, of mm. like the, the kind of grunts in the trenches who are really digging in and, and embracing the difficulties. And I just find if we run away from our challenges that we don't ever have that opportunity to access our humanity. So yeah, embracing the suck is really important. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about uh, business as well. And, you know, mm. there's 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 times when clients where you're just going to, you know, have to eat a shit sandwich, right? You just know it, right? <laughs> you, you didn't do a good job or whatever happened, whether it's in your control or not. And there's just and there's other times where you got to pay taxes and you got to do things that you just don't want to do. Uh, life just can't be a nonstop party. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're talking about 
client interactions and client engagement, I think one of the biggest learnings of my whole career is acknowledging what I've done wrong and figuring out how to fix it and Mm. how that builds a beautiful client relationship in almost every circumstance. Instead of trying to run away or deny it or pretend like the thing didn't happen, if you can face it head on and fix the problem for the customer, uh, they will be your advocate until the end of time. Absolutely. And, and talking about things face on, what a, you, you graduated high school at, at 15, you went to college at 16, you were you were raised in Japan. I, Catherine, it's just so quiet. You must have great stories, but then something kind of <laughs> happened in college where you're 16 and you got to get introduced to kind of alcohol at an early age and you loved it. And eventually that, that turns his head. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, uh, I will have been sober for five years coming up here in February. I know you're not supposed to, thank you. I know you're not supposed to tell about your birthday, your sober birthday before it actually happens, but I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll take Uh, the risk. Um, But yeah, alcoholism has been a very, a very um, impactful part of my life and a part of my family. And it's something that, uh, you know, I was just talking with my life coach about how, um, how amazing my life has been since I actually was able to put the plug in the jug. And, uh, you know, what it did, what it did for me was helped me cope with a lot of difficult emotions. And it helped me to, um, you know, honestly, stay here instead of instead of taking um, a more drastic measure. But when I did decide to actually get sober, everything changed. And the momentum that I have built in the last five years is just it feels like it feels like the last five years has been more exciting to me than the rest of my life before that combined. So uh, mm. so I can't say enough about how much sobriety has, has benefited me personally. Yeah. Talk to me about growing up in Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my uh, my family, we are a military um, military family. I spent 10 years out of my first 15 years in Japan. Uh, on military bases. So we were, you know, part of kind of part of the culture, kind of part of the society, but also kind of in the pseudo American Mm. uh, (laughs) space, which was really interesting. And I think, you know, one of the funniest things is when I came back to the United States, um, I was used to having friends be, we were all really loud and we were really effusive. And if I don't know, obviously, probably if you're listening to this, you can't see what I look like, but I am extraordinarily pale. <laughs> like I am very napkin colored. Okay. And, uh, and when, uh, when you get around other napkin colored people, we are apparently those young, those young people are a little bit more restrained. And mm. with, with how much I would yell at them, like I used to yell at my friends, they didn't enjoy that very much. And I didn't understand how to be a, <laughs> how to be a blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, American, which was which was kind of a crack up, and so just a little bit of that cultural dissonance was really um, was really something that I noticed when I came back home. It's interesting. My my father's Italian, and you know Italians do a lot of raising of the voices, and uh, you know, and I would spend summers there. When I'd come back, I'd kind of you know start that, and I'd be quickly you know uh, I was quickly. Uh, taught, you know, remembered or, uh, that, you know, we just don't do that here. We just kind of keep it kind of toned. And mm-hmm. it's interesting how we're so boisterous, us Americans, but in certain areas, we're not. Right, right. And I think that that's part of something that is useful to lean into as far as our authenticity goes, right? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having passion or having, you know, strong emotions or like letting that out. But you're right in our, especially in a business context, like this concept of professionalism, which I think needs to be lit on fire and thrown behind the dumpster. Mm. Um, you know, there there's not really room for that level of personality. And like, to your point, it, it doesn't it feel good when you're able to be around your people and you can just like, let it out and like be who you are. Yeah. It does feel great, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely feels great. So you had, uh, so after, you know, college, you, you had some issues with, with alcohol, like we mentioned, but then you turned to a great community, right? You started working out. One of your coaches said, you're really good at this. And it kind of turned you, you know, turned you around and you pursued that and you found great community in that. You also found a lot of your colleagues were going through, you know, drying out as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I am a a competitive strongman athlete. Um, And and when you think about strongman, it's a really simple sport. Either you're picking up a heavy thing and you're walking around with it. You're picking up a heavy thing and you're putting it right back down, or you're picking up a heavy thing and you're throwing it. That's really, (laughs) those are the three types of activities. And that can be a log. It can be a rock. Like it's very uh, unrefined Mm. as far as that goes. But I will tell you, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if 60% of those those of us in the community um, were 
part of the sober living program, right? Uh, because because you don't you don't go around and pick up five six hundred pounds if you're mentally doing okay. Like it's just not <laughs> right. That's not really that's not really uh, uh, what what most normal folks would want. <laughs> Um, but it really, you know, it's been a, it's been a really a really uh, vibrant part of my recovery journey, and um, I, I I came in second in the national contest this year in my weight class. I hold two two world records in grip sport, and am in the top fifteen in the world in grip as well. And it's just been it's just been a really fun journey, you know, from from being able to only bench press the bar up to mm. you know now walking around with five hundred plus pounds and and and. It's it's a really it's a really exciting journey. Absolutely, and as far as it being refined, you know, basketball players are putting a ball in a hoop. Soccer players <laughs> are putting a ball in a goal. You know, it's it's not, I, I as far as sophistication, I'm not sure. You know, I I think it's just as glamorous and just as hard and just as disciplined as all the rest. But you know, you're being very modest. So one of your one of your records, if I have this wrong, Catherine, yeah. five hundred and fifty pound yoke. 60 feet in 20 seconds. Yeah, that, so that's actually not a record. That's actually not even that impressive. Um, really? <laughs> given, given, yeah, I know, believe it or not. Um, my world records are actually in some really uh, kind of niche uh, grip activities where you're picking up uh, modestly heavy weight, but the, the implement is re a really strange shape, right? And your hand okay. kind of has to be really strong to make that happen. Um, so yeah, believe it or not, 550 pounds on a yoke in, in, uh, for 60 feet over 20 seconds is not super impressive. It's kind of wow. table stakes to get to the national show. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of strong people and, out there. Uh, yeah, that certainly is. And you still participate. You still enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. I am taking a little bit of a break um, right now just because my body after four and a half years of this is is really starting to uh, mm. really starting to feel it. You know, I'm, I'm 38. Uh, I have a couple injuries that I'm trying to rehab. And so I'm taking a, a, a short break over the holidays, but I'll be back at it at the beginning of the year. So. And it's th three to five days a week for two to three hours each. Oh, yeah. It's um, it's 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 grueling from that perspective, but not when you love it. You know, when it's the thing that you mm. find passion or when you when you find your meaning in life by doing this. Yeah, it's um, it's easy to it's easy to go do the thing that you love. You've got great content on Instagram and TikTok. You have these kind of, you know, these short kind of burst videos where you, you know, you want, you want to express your opinion. You're frustrated about something. You're, you know, you just want to bring some enlightenment on it. I, I, I went through them and enjoyed so many. I took so many notes. I, I really enjoyed it. But your, your Instagram, you know, uh, description, unhinged, <laughs> non-binary, chronically ill, sober AF, and queer. Yeah. It's quite a combination. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you know, my I, I do a word every year, and this is something that's that's really been useful for me. Um, I, one of them, one of the first ones was like confidence, and then I did uncompromising, and and then eventually I found my way to authenticity. And uh. I, I, it may be apparent to you that I don't do anything half-assed, right? Mm. Like if we're going to do something, we're going to go all the way in. And so with us, with the year that was authenticity, I came out. I came out. You know, I came out at a work seminar. Like the first time I came out to anybody was like two people at a work seminar, which was not the way most people most people do that. Um, but I leaned heavily into it. I, you know, I cut my again. People can't see me. My hair is bright green. Uh, I have a septum piercing. Like all this stuff. I got a bunch of tattoos. Like I just decided to finally become the person that I wanted to be, yeah. and and uh, that has really made it easy to have a good time on social media. Um, this year, my word was delight, uh, and and leaning into joy in your everyday life, even under adverse circumstances has really been a, a great theme as well. Why come out at a, at a seminar? Well, I mean, I guess I just didn't really know when else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I came out on national coming out day, uh, as I was giving a speech about what it's like to be queer. And uh -huh. I was like, well, I guess I don't really know because I am new to this. And, uh, uh, you know, I had been, I've been, a, I had been a really great ally. If, for again, for the folks who are listening, you know, people who people who are like really enthusiastic about being allies for a certain type of community. Uh, spoiler alert: <laughs> you might be one of us. You know, you might be uh, part of the community. And and I said, you know, yeah, I'm going to join this. I'm going to be a really strong ally. And then and then found my way to saying, you know, no, this really this really actually is who I am. 
So took a lot of courage. Uh, it wasn't easy, but and I've had a lot of consequences that weren't great because of it. Um, but I wouldn't trade that for anything. Consequences that weren't great. You have a friendships lost. Not uh, like explain. Yeah, I mean, my family is uh, out of the picture now. Like we uh. don't. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, and there's there's just. It's unfortunate, but it's it's a part of the way that things happen sometimes. But you find your chosen family, and uh, you're able to dig in with that. And it's been a, it's been an interesting couple of years in trying to develop that community around myself. But now we're here and and queer and proud of it. And yeah, unhinged. Uh, I and and uh, <laughs> and chronically ill. And I think it's I think it's really important for folks to realize when it comes to being an athlete. Uh, you know, your your body doesn't have to function perfectly for you to mm. overcome challenges. So I got diagnosed with asthma as an adult last year. Um, and and that diagnosis, number one, helped me to actually reach my full potential in the gym, which was really exciting to actually be properly treated. Um, but there are a ton of folks out there who have chronic illness or addiction concerns or whatever it is. And we are out here kicking ass. Uh, there's a gal at the national show who was a type one diabetic and, uh, you know, t- caring for herself in that way. And she absolutely rocked it. So so there's no reason that you can't participate in these activities if you have experiences like, you know, people like me have. Yeah, I, I remember you saying at one particular point that, you know, you you had all these doctors that kept telling you stuff and they were, you know, BMI is a whole subject we should, you know, talk about, but, you know, but to get diagnosed with asthma so late in your life when if you were diagnosed earlier, you could have gone it could have helped you in so many different ways and avoided so many pitfalls that you had to endure. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, we can talk about the physicians and how, how, you know, I am a large human being. I compete in the super heavyweight class. Right. Um, uh, because frankly, I am so over the diet culture thing and I just cannot, I, I cannot bring myself to continue it. And um, when the physicians are consistently kind of gaslighting you about your own experience and just saying, well, if, you know, if you would undertake a program of cardiovascular exercise, and I'm like, listen, I can walk with a ton of weight on myself and that's a cardio workout. Like I can do, I am already cardiovascularly quite strong and I am still really suffering. You know, yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges that come along with that. But what I can say on that is just, um, you know, kind of don't give up advocating for yourself. Mm. But, but but again, there's a lot of chronic illness in this in the sports community, and there's no reason you can't hop in with this at, at any age. You know, I I played soccer all my life. I have you know I have big legs. You know, muscular, and you know I would. I, I, this is after I lost all the weight, but they would say, you know, your BMI is too high. And I said, well, I mean, there's athletes that I know that play soccer, that play football with six, 7% body fat, but that, that are out of the B they're obese with the BMI. Uh, why, why are physicians still using that? Oh yeah. Okay. So here's the thing is I've got a master's degree in public health. So you're asking the right. right. Okay. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, back in 1998, I don't know if you're, if, if you're aware of this or folks that are listening, uh, they moved the goalpost on what the definitions of overweight and obese were. So when we talk about the obesity crisis hitting in the late 90s, it's because the criteria changed and overnight 30% more people became ca- categorized as obese. Right. Okay. It has always been intended to be a population measure, and it has always been intended to be a population measure to indicate whether or not people were starving, not on the other end of the spectrum. There are four primary determinants of health. Uh, One of one of them is: Do you smoke tobacco? Uh, Do you drink alcohol? Do you eat your veggies? And do you exercise uh, for an hour three times a week? Okay. Those are your four primary determinants of health, along with like your zip code, right? Because sometimes uh, poverty and socioeconomic status have an impact. But if you're living well within those four determinants of health, I can guarantee you that your health is just fine. Um, You know, Mm. limit your alcohol consumption or give it up altogether. Not you're not missing out on anything and and you might save some money. Um, Eat your fruits and veg, like do all those things that are helpful, helpful for your body. And whatever size you are, there is a sport for you. Number one. And number two, you are fine at whatever size Mm. that that kind of precipitates out of those behaviors. Boy, that's, you just laid it out so simply. I mean, do you believe that there is an obesity issue in our country? Um, I believe, uh, hmm. I believe that obesity is a symptom of a lot mm. of health problems that we don't fully understand. So take polycystic uh, ovary syndrome or hormone conditions, right? Um, there, so I think obesity is a symptom, number one. Number two, I think that a lot of what we do to treat obesity uh, makes people's lives worse. So I went on, um, I, I have a history of eating disorder 
And it's really difficult when doctors are like, hey, uh, just eat less and exercise more. Because you know what I'm going to do? Again, I told you I don't do anything half-ass. If you're going to tell me to eat less and exercise more, I'm going to eat you know, 300 calories a day. My hair is going to fall out. My teeth are going to be mm. loose in my skull. And you're going to say, oh, gosh, Catherine, you just look great. And my and my organs will be failing, right? Um, and so do I think that it's more important to tackle obesity or or those four determinants of health? I say we encourage those pe- people to do those four things and see what size they turn out as. Very interesting. Uh, Very, very interesting. And do you think that, um, you you know, when you laid it, you said tobacco, you said alcohol, fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. and then of course, exercise. I always had the three pillars as kind of, you know, sleeping, exercise and diet. I guess it's Mm -hmm. pretty much, it's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Here's one issue. Like during the pandemic, I I just thought it was a great time for the government to say, okay, why don't we start walking people? Why don't we start exercising a little bit more? Why don't we start? It never happened. I, it's a, obviously a political hot button. Yeah. People don't like to like to be called overweight. Perhaps. It, do you think that was a good time, a missed opportunity for the for the government to help the public? Well, I think there's a lot of compl- complicated components that go into this. Not the least of which is the fact that exercise and disability. Uh, intersect, right? And there are a lot of people who aren't able, and especially people who have been disabled by by illnesses that include COVID, right? Um, the exercise might look different for people like that. And so how can we be inclusive? Like as we think about sport, right? I broke my foot. Like here's a good example. I broke my foot uh, a couple years ago. And I actually in order to stay fit, adopted a program that was designed for people who had uh, paraplegia so that I could continue to to exercise my upper body, but I was using methods for people who have had an amputation or who have had paralysis, right? So when we think about exercise, yeah, walking sounds great unless you've got a knee with no cartilage that's grinding, right? So how do we Mm. accommodate people who are disabled into that conversation as well? And I think that we've really just got to open that up. It's very interesting because your your point is not everybody can do all that. So you have to kind of be inclusive and and make, make adjustments for those. Yeah, very very interesting. I never quite thought about that. You know, um, that that is a very interesting point. What what misconceptions are there, and what should people know about non-binary? Ah, uh, <laughs> what there are a ton of misconceptions um, that we are just using pronouns to get attention, right? Mm. Or that like we're just a bunch of pot smoking hippies who don't know what we're doing, right? Like listen, I'm a I'm a 38-year-old professional with a with a tenured career in like actual stuff. I was a chemist, right? Um so I I'm not just some kid who who um decided to create this identity so that I could get notoriety on Instagram. And in fact, I don't think anybody is. Um what I think it's important to realize is that our society tells us that you have to fit in these two boxes, right? And there are a lot of us who couldn't perform non or who couldn't perform woman very well and tr- couldn't really perform man very well and we're like, "Oh, okay, so is there an option for me?" And and I found out, you know, at age 37 that there is an option for me. Um, and, and I'll tell you, for for a while, I was violently opposed to the concept of non-binary because I'm like, you're invading women's spaces. And I went hard in the paint on uh, the trans exclusion, exclu- exclusive radical feminist. Um, and it was simply because my friend asked me, they're like, why are you so anti-non-binary? And I said, I am so angry that I didn't get to live like that. Uh, I was and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Well, I guess I got to figure out my gender identity now, right? <laughs> because it's, uh, um, I think it's important to realize that, again, folks aren't doing this to try to get attention or, or to, to make it inconvenient for anybody else to interact with us. We're doing it because it, it is so painful to have to force ourselves into one of these molds that to be given an opportunity to, to exist outside of that definition is so freeing and makes genuine sense for us. Um, Mm. And to be honest with you, most of my friends and my community members right now are also trans or non-binary and it is the most fulfilling group of people that I think I've ever been around. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for them. Yeah, so to keep an open mind to, you know, to to that and to, yeah, it 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 doesn't seem to be very laborious for for others just to 
to have to have that have that be an issue for the from the outside. It doesn't it doesn't seem that way to me. So, um, what should what would happen? What should now you address this in a video, and it's it's wonderful the way you did it. But so if somebody uses improper pronouns, what should be the course of action? Oh yeah, if they if they say she her instead of they them, um yeah. So so like at the beginning of our conversation, because I don't know you very well, what I did was I just I just reminded you, right? Um, yeah. And I said, okay, just so you know, my pronouns are they them. And if somebody makes a misstep, sometimes I will correct them, sometimes I won't. But after the fact, I will say, you know, hey, my pronouns are they them. And all you have to do is like remember it for the next time. That's right. Um. Or if you make a quick if you make a quick uh uh correction of yourself, like sometimes. Uh, Joey, honestly, I will misgender myself because for 37 years, woman. Okay. <laughs> like that's, how, and so, nice. so I misgender myself half the time and I'm like, okay, okay, no, they, right. <laughs> and so, but all you have to do is quickly correct yourself and don't make it a thing. Um, and if you, if you do it, don't make excuses, like don't draw a whole bunch of attention to it. Just like be cool, you know, right. and, and correct it and move on. But you know, it's funny. I have some friends who it took a little bit of time for them to make this adjustment, which, you know, life is life. Sometimes we have these struggles. Um, but it was getting, it was getting on my nerves and they, these are people that I care about. And so I downloaded an app onto my phone. That's an air horn. Um, and every time I was in a call with them, <laughs> if they, if they messed it up, they got the air horn, they learned real quick. <laughs> But we all laughed. Like there were people I cared about and loved, you know, it's okay. Yeah. The idea, uh, I, I, I haven't run into it very often, but when I have, if I made the mistake, I just simply correct it, apologize quickly, move on, don't draw attention. But, um, an air horn, that would be, that would be funny and it would be appropriate. I could definitely see how that would be the case. Do people think that, I, I know you're we're projecting here, but it, it will will there be a um, how dare you do that? You know, a, a, you know, a whole kind of attack. Um, it, I, I don't know why people would think that. Well, I think it depends on your intent, right? If you're intentionally misgendering me in order to like provoke me, damn uh, straight, I'm gonna I'm gonna come uh, for you. Like I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Um, and this is an important part of my identity, and that is something that a lot of people will absolutely try to antagonize, right? Um, and all right, step up. Let's have that conversation. But if it's an honest mistake, you know, or even if you're just unfamiliar with this, like if you're unfamiliar with it, number one, take some time to educate yourself. The Human Rights Council has some really great content about this. You can simply Google the term non-binary and there's a lot of really great information that will surface mm. from organizations that can provide you with that educa education. And really, there's not that much to know. You just need to know what pronouns that person uses so that you can address them properly. Like beyond that, if you don't believe that you are yourself non-binary, Research is over, right? <laughs> You're done. <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and and I don't think that most people are really going to have are going to have that kind of response. Um, it's it's really when it's intentional or when it's designed to cause problems that yeah, well you know if if you make that an issue, now it's an issue, and and I think people right. will respond accordingly. But you know I think that's true of anybody who who's having some part of their identity kind of attacked, right? But I will tell you that um, with every like every time somebody says she her, especially somebody that I love. Um, it's like a little pinprick and those pinpricks add up and it just, by the end of the day, sometimes you get a little tired or, or, mm. or really fucking tired, right? Like it, 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 it absolutely has an effect. And so if you care about somebody, you will learn their pronouns. That's wonderful. That's wonderful right there, Catherine. That is absolutely wonderful. And it's, it's simple. It's, it's very simple to understand. It's nothing to really overthink. I love the, um, one word that you had, you mentioned it before, you pick a word a year, completeness. Mm. You had eventually got to authenticity. Uh, do you do that on New Year's? What goes into the planning of that? Is it 12, is it calendar year? And how, how is that? It seems like a mission. How's that manifested? Do you check yourself uh, weekly on it? Like, how does that roll out? Yeah, actually, I was just talking with my life coach about this. And may I say, just for those of us who are, who are, you know, if you're trying to um, find who you are, you're trying to achieve a specific goal, uh, I just want to say, get a coach, find somebody mm. who's either done it before or has helped other people do whatever it is that you want to do, whether it's athletics, whether it's professional, whether it's, you know, creating a podcast, something along these lines, find a coach and get some input on that. Um, because so, 
So with that aside, every year I do come up with it. I usually do it in the month of December. Um, and at first I started out with writing it just on a sticky note in pencil because I wasn't really sure how committed I was to this. And then over the years, it has started to become like I, I have a little canvas. And so this year uh, for the 2023, my my word is discovery. And then I have some key goals that I want to meet for the year. And I actually hang mm. the little canvas up wherever it is that I'm working so that I look at it every day. And I am committed to saying, okay, 2023 is my year of discovery. I'm going to go on the road and I'm going to take some of my sales information and content out into the public. I'm going to earn this much money. I'm going to build this type of a community. I'm going to take this kind of a trip, right? And I'm also, this one says no debt. I'm going to get out of debt this year. Like, that's the goal. <laughs> we are we are dangerously close to that happening. Um, but yeah, I, I, I commit to putting it on a canvas in paint and then I just hang it up on my wall and I look at it every day and I say, this is my year that I'm going to do this. And I'll tell you what it is amazing if you commit to a theme, how much your life will follow the path that you want to designate. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, I, I don't want to go through everything again, but you, <laughs> one of your great anecdotes when you quit drinking was, hey, I can now afford a car. I can, you know, I, creditors, yeah. I don't have to dodge them anymore uh, because, you know, it was running into problems with your work. I mean, you were in a, a science lab disassembling nuclear warheads and yep. hung over. <laughs> oh, my yeah, goodness, uh, Catherine. Don't, don't, go to your, don't go to your Department of Defense chemical laboratory job uh, with alcohol still in your system. I, legally, I can't tell you that I did that, but, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely amazing. And uh, I think, you know, uh, I always bring up discipline. The doctors, I gained a lot of weight when I started my business. The doctor said, you know, you're not going to see your daughter graduate if you continue that was pre-diabetic, pre-hypertensive. Mm-hmm. But you kind of said that your your moment was your partner at the time said, I'm going to kick you out of the house. You're going to be homeless. And yeah. that was kind of, you know, that was kind of your come to Jesus moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He said, he said, you know, if you don't get this shit together, we can't be together. And I was only I was not making very much money at all at the time. I would have been absolutely destitute. And did I care about that person? Yeah, enough. But did I care more about not being homeless? Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was something that really, that really kind of um and it was a very real possibility at that point if I didn't get it together because, um, you know, I was spending I was spending so much money on alcohol every week, uh, and I think I've said this on other on other podcasts. In eighteen months of sobriety, I was able to and with some financial planning that I hadn't had in the past, I was able to stow away enough money to put a down payment on on my own place. You know, that's awesome. Um, and so for folks, you know, folks who are listening to this, who may feel like, oh, gosh, I'm just at the beginning of my journey, like it just feels hopeless. I will tell you that I have not put that much work into <laughs> into all of this. I have done very much one day at a time and very much the bare minimum. But if you do the bare minimum over a five year span, you would really be shocked at what those outcomes can be. You know, that 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 one percent, you know, you see it on LinkedIn, you see it on the socials all the time, like one point oh one over a year, as opposed to 1.0, if you just put it 1% mm. effort in every single day, the exponential increase that you see, you're barely doing anything different, but your life absolutely takes a turn. Wow. Yeah. I remember also you talking about just, just, you know, being in the gym and I mean, you were certainly an athlete as, as a child, but you weren't, you know, lifting heavy weights, you weren't mm-hmm. doing that. And you just, I, you know, you you say that you moved on to it. If if you can do it, anybody can do it. It wasn't that difficult. Just get in front. That's one of your your great messages that I that I loved hearing about. Thank you. Yeah, and I fully believe that. And again, not everybody, not everybody does this with weights, right? It might be swimming, it might be running, mm. like what you're talking about. It might be a professional something that you're trying to work towards. But if you show up and just do a little bit every single day, that's all. Yeah. That's all. It is that simple, and it genuinely is that easy. I go to the gym and I pick up two and a half pounds more at a time. I don't, Mm. I don't pick up 50 pounds more at a time. Right. But over the time, over the span of four or five years, two and a half pounds turns into 500, which is, you know, it's just the natural course of things. So the more you do something and the more the time you spend at it and the little bits of growth, you're going to see massive results. And I'm sure that you've seen that in your own fitness journey as well. Yeah, and you got to you kind of keep rediscovering yourself. You said you you know you took some time off. I I ran some triathlons, and you know I I kind of got sick of practicing three three sports. So I went to CrossFit, and you know and I, I'm at a particular journey now. And you know you just got to 
exercise has to be a part of your life. Uh, depends on how you want to do it. Um, your body rewards you so well when you exercise. It's, when I finish a workout, you know, getting there is terrible. Doing it's terrible. When I'm done, oh, walking out of that place, I it's just the I have the world that I can do anything. You know what I mean, Catherine? Yeah. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for people who have not traditionally been seen as as having the access to really heavy weightlifting or like to triathlons, like what you're describing, mm. you know, women and non-men are not really encouraged to pick up heavy shit or do big athletic feats. Right. Right? And, and I think our society is shifting a little bit more in that way, but there is something really, and again, if you're doing triathlons, you know, this, there is something primal and deep within us as humans that comes out when we're doing those challenging feats mm. of physical endurance or a physical, you know, a burst of physical activity. There is no moment in time that I can tell you that was greater in my life than when I've been deadlifting for 450 pounds plus. Like it's just, wow. it just feels like I am human. I am, ah, you know, like you just, it just feels like you can be the most present that you can be. And I don't know if you experience that too, but it, it seems, it seems true for me. Yeah. And you also talk about the great experience when you, when you deadlift, the closer it is to your body, the less difficult it is. Mm -hmm. Right. You mm -hmm. talk about that, which is, which is, that's an analogy, obviously, to kind of life. Yeah. You cannot hold your challenges at arm's distance because mm. you're not stronger there. The closer you get to the thing that's causing you difficulty, and this is the part of that embrace the suck, you know, that we kind of started talk, out talking right. about. Um, the closer you get to those challenges, the more skin you have, the more skin contact you have against the thing that's causing you pain, the more you're going to be able to address it. Um, again, so many of us look at this stuff and we're like, oh, I'll deal with my drinking later, right? And later may not actually come. It, it, it depends on how things go for you, right? Um, but I think the way that we become most authentically human is by looking at those things that cause us pain and like either trying to figure out how to resolve them or overcome them somehow, right? But we got to, I, I was talking to a, 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 an amputee athlete uh, who lost his foot and he was saying, there is no replacement for the time that we spend sitting alone in the dark. Everyone has to do it. Every single person. Um, and you can't be afraid of it because if you, if you just sit alone in the dark for a while, you'll come out better. Yeah. People ask me, how'd you, you know, the first events is swim. How'd you swim for a mile? I said, stroke at a time. I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, that's, yep. Yep. there's no secret there. People were kicking me as they were swimming past me. My goal, not purposely, but it's just, it's a big mob of people. My goal wasn't <laughs> to be number one. My goal was to finish, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, you know, just a, a little at a time. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to win business proposals? Oh, the best. That's a that's a pivot. That's a pivot. How do you like that? Ooh, How do you like that? Right. Let me let me let me get my neck together. One at, one at a time. One stroke at a time. Maybe it's the same answer. You know, it's, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. One form at a time. Yeah. Well, the best way to, to to really dial in your business proposals um is if you listen to what the customer needs. Um, you've got to be fully uh, fluent in the customer's pain points. Like we talk a lot about this in sales, right? Um, understanding the pain points, but, but really what it comes down to, you know, you think with proposals that it's not a relationship game and yes, you're submitting a document. You're not talking to the person like one-to-one, -one, mm. but the relationship that you have with that organization and the understanding that you have of their needs and requirements and how you can solve it and how you tell a great story around that that's how you, that's how you win the proposal. It's not, it's not cost in, unless the procurement effort has been specifically oriented towards cost, but your, your pricing, your pricing isn't the reason you lose proposals. Um, it's, it's the fact that you didn't, that you didn't tell a good story. Hmm. How can we get the, uh, stink out of sales? Mm, yeah. You know, again, my life coach tells me this all the time, uh, about, She's like, everything that you're saying to me right now sounds way too polished. And, and I'm taking the sales enablement training class right now, which is really great from the sales enablement collective. And they, they talk about the fact that your sales reps need to have this authentic approach, right? Like they need to be allowed to be themselves. We create these sales scripts. We create these, these assets that don't reflect who our company is, like who the salespeople are. 
get the stink out of sales. We've got it. We've got to lean into that authenticity and let people tell the story mm. of how they experience the product and how they the benefit that they see, and 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 allow for that human connection instead of just like pushing through the numbers game. Uh, the biggest sales that I've ever made were like to people that I would consider friends still. <laughs> you know, right, me too. Do you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. People uh, love to buy, but they hate to be sold to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that really figuring out a way for us to, for us to connect as human beings in this context, like there's no reason somebody who's helping me solve a problem should be somebody who is acting in my own best interest. Like Mm. let's, let's not forget the fact that like, I want to know, I want to know. And again, not everybody wants to be sold or wants to have this sales experience, but like, I want to know how your kid's doing. I want to know how your right. kid was. I want to know what your pet's name is. Right. And then we can, we can move on from there and really understand how your products are meets my needs. But if I can't connect with you on a human level and you can do that through documentation, there's no, there's no reason you can't. Interesting. Yeah. The, the more personal people like to work with people they know and like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Making those connections is, is is paramount i i um you know but you still hear used car salesmen you hear these terms all the time but without sales the worst thing will happen you won't be able to sell your product or service yeah you know my buddy uh rhett stastrom who wrote the um he's written a book about how to sell for introverts which is a really Mm. fascinating maybe someone to consider talking to not not trying to pitch it but like he's someone that's a really cool uh, uh sales guy um, what he talks about is this axis, and I don't think he came up with this, but he talks about this a lot, is the axis of competence versus likability. So if you are likable, but incompetent, you're not going to make the sale. If you're competent, but not likable, you have a chance of making the sale. But if you are competent and likable, that's the sweet spot. Like you need to understand yourself and you need to be fun to talk to, uh, but you can't just rely on on your charm as a person. Um, and, and Red really describes that in a, in a really meaningful way. Wow, competence and likable. It's very interesting. Uh, I hear the term uh, ambiverts as well, kind of mm-hmm. people that are kind of introverts and extroverts and where sales lends itself in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, I, I mentioned before I lost a lot of weight and people mm-hmm. ask me how, how I lost it. Like they want some secret, like they want some magic bullet, like, you know, I, you know, walk on your right foot for a day, you know, like <clears throat> they want some, and I just say discipline, you know, I got focused. I had a moment with the doctor and by the way, that doctor's still with me and I will go have a checkup and she will say things like, uh, gee, Joe, did the Peloton break or something? I said, okay, I, I gained a couple pounds, you know, so, you know, and I enjoy that. I'm from the Northeast. I like a certain level of sarcasm and elbowing, but, uh, but I always say, I always say discipline, you know, I just got focused on discipline with your life experiences, Catherine, how does discipline play a role in your life now and, and before? Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my first high school boyfriend, um, would tell me he's like you are the most disciplined person that I've wow. ever met. But even when I was a teenager, which which was number one, very high compliment coming from this person, and number two, kind of cracks me up because I think about that with some frequency. Um, but what I think, what I think about discipline, you know, in the in the rooms of sobriety or in the rooms of AA where I where I got sober, um, they talk about the fact that time takes time, and I've always been the type of person who wanted to kind of skip to the end and say, like because you know I did that a lot in my life. I skipped grades. Mm. I got I got to go fast through things, and I said, okay, so how do I do really great at sobriety? And they go, well, to get sixty days sober, you have to spend sixty days sober. There is no rushing. You have to just put in the time. And I think if you can accept the fact that this stuff isn't going to happen tomorrow, your weight loss, you didn't flip a switch and it happened, right? Your, your triathlon, you didn't flip a switch and suddenly you're able, it's not like the matrix where you download it into the back of your head and all of a sudden now, oh, I know Kung Fu. Like that's not how any of this works. <laughs> um, and, and so I think the fact that just time takes time and you listen, four years are going to pass. Four years were going to pass whether or not I was sober. I might as well. I might as well, right? Like give it a try. Um, so just accept the fact that this is going to take a little bit of time. And and if you, if you can't do that, I don't, I don't think discipline I don't think discipline manifests. So fascinating. You, you equate patience with discipline. Is that safe to say? I mean, somewhat, I think it's just, I think it's uh, being in the moment too. And just, I mean, I think, I think patience is a hard word for me because I'm not, 
Um, <laughs> but I think just, I, I think acceptance, I think acceptance is a big part of it too. Like I have to accept, you know, if I'm on a weight loss journey, I have to accept, I have to get on the scale and find out what my starting weight is. Right. If I'm on a, if I'm on a weightlifting journey, I have to accept that I can only pick up, you know, and not only, but I, maybe I'm starting at 10 pounds. Right. But if you don't, if you're not able to look at the reality of that circumstance and say like, this is what is probably going to be my path, uh, then, then yeah, I just, I just don't know. I think I think you've got to really get clear on what's happening right now today, no matter how bad it is. Yeah, and I want to re- reiterate to people who are listening: you you were Mensa, you were graduated at sixteen. I mean, you're high accomplished, and you were, you know, you decided to take physics as your major in in college, knowing that it would be difficult, knowing that it would be very hard. So you you've got that personality, you've got that, you know, that fight to you, Catherine. It's it's wonderful, and mm-hmm. I think. For those, for those parts that maybe it didn't serve you well, it served you certainly well in your recovery and what you're doing now. I mean, you used both ends of it very, very well. Yeah. Um, it, the best way to get somebody or the best way to get me to do something is to tell me I can't. And I'll, oh, by God, I'll show you. That's, I got, I got a lot of family from Texas and that is the, that is the attitude, my oh, friend. Boy. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh <laughs> they just boy. yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> go big, go big or go home in, in that kind of context. But but for real, like um and, and you know, I think there's this misconception that like to get sober you have to like th- you have to want to be positive. Um mm. I got sober out of spite mostly. It's it's why I do a lot of things. It's because people will look at me and be like, "Hey, oh, you're fat. Like you can't do that." And I'm like, "Watch me. Look at me pick up 500 pounds." Right? Like you're you're um not a traditional salesperson. You can't close that deal. Okay. And I go off and do it. Right. Um, And I I think that you don't have to really believe in yourself. You just have to be angry enough to like try to prove someone wrong. That's a, that's a valid way of doing this. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I, it, it, uh, does it, it's interesting. Like when I, when I'm working with, I'm in the tech field. So when I work like yourself, when I, when I work with some, when I'm trying to sell to somebody and I get it a little bit and I know that they're perhaps they're a bit, uh, uh, self-centered or they're narcissistic. It's, it's easier for me because mm. I know how to now shape it because I've got to make them look good. If I make them mm. look good, you know, uh, I love when I like I I I play some sports. I play tennis. I play golf, and I have some buddies I know that if I rib them a little bit, they'll work harder. If I don't, they won't. And so with you, I could just say you're not making this putt, you know, and you will grind. You will squeeze that putter, and you you will you will <laughs> give me the finger once it sinks in, once it drops. I I, I could just tell you've got that in you. It's wonderful. I tell you what, if I was, if it, in a different life, I think I must've been, are you, you're from New York? Yes. I, I love New Yorkers for this reason Yeah, is because yeah. y'all, y'all just, just cut it straight and tell us what's, what's actually happening. And then, and then make fun of us ruthlessly. And I, right. <laughs> that is something that deeply resonates with my soul. Yes. <laughs> 10 for 10. <laughs> you know, it's, just, I know you're, I think you're in Colorado now. You're in Chicago yeah. for a while. Yeah. And I just listening to you, I was like, she's got to have some New York in her. I, because if you don't, if you don't give it back to them, they'll, 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 they'll they don't like that. You got to give it back and then they'll smile. And then that's you know, just the way they are. And, uh, it, it's very different there. I wonder, will discipline ever be your word of the year? No, I think I've already got that. Ah. If I focused on the, oh my God, can you imagine how much I would implode if I had to do more discipline? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I I try to stretch myself into into places where I feel like I haven't really accomplished what I want to accomplish. So like with delight this year, um, mostly I am very good at grinding at work. Right? It's what I'm cu- accustomed to. It is part of my life. I'm always in a class. I'm always like trying to learn something new. I'm trying to get a new modality under my belt or like get a new method. Right? Um, and this year I was like, I am going to actually have fun. And I'm going to see if that helps me do anything more. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I had a great deal of fun. I, I published a book this year and had fun doing I it. That. I gave a TEDx. TED talk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I had fun doing it and yeah. prioritizing the delight in my everyday life made all of those experiences so much richer and so much more enjoyable and so much more meaningful than if I'd just been head down in the books, you know, wow. so that, yeah, much better, much better choice. 
Oh, you inspire me. You inspire me, and I know you inspire those who watch and listen. Catherine Bennett, what motivates you? Oh, what motivates me? Um, I just want to have a good life, you oh. know? And, and, and what a good life means changes moment to moment for me. But I really just want to feel like I did everything that I could while I was on this planet to push myself to the the farthest points of, of my own abilities. So what motivates me is seeing how much I can do mm. and how much I can help other people do too. Like the, as soon as you kind of dial it in for yourself, now you can do the same for other folks too. It means a lot. And, and how do you measure success? Oh, you know, that differs day to day too. Uh, some days getting out of bed and putting on real clothes for business is a, is a success. Some days, um, you know, lifting a whole bunch of weight is a success. It's a, that's a moving mm. target for me. Um, but overall, I would say that like, what do I consider to be a good life? Um, it is one where, where I've got good connections and I have a lot of love of the people around me and I have enough financial competence or financial stability to be able to, um, to feel safe. So that's the, mm. that's the minimum, but beyond that, it's all gravy. I just try new stuff and see what works. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. An absolute pleasure. Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. When I saw you accepted this, I got excited. I just, I, 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 I love to learn and I love to get perspective that I, that I, that I don't see other places. And I, I, I encourage, so how can people get in touch with you? Let's talk about your, your TikTok, your Instagram, your website, your LinkedIn. How, how can we get in touch with you? Yep. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at WarMaiden. That's W-A-R-M-A-I-D-E-N underscore official, um, which is the name of my fitness brand, which we'll, we'll see what happens with that one day. I'd like to open a franchise of, uh, of inclusive powerlifting gyms, but that's not the primary, that's not the primary target this year. Um, so WarMaiden underscore official. If you're on LinkedIn, join me at Catherine Bennett writes. I am always interested in talking to folks who are in the tech sector or who are interested in sales or anything surrounding the those concepts. Um, and then if you want to check out my website, it's warmaidenfitness.com where you can find my book, uh, Productive Pain, which tells a little bit more about my personal story. Although frankly, Joey, I think you hit almost everything that, <laughs> that I've talked about in the book. And so it might be a little bit repetitive, but happy to happy to have more folks in that community as well. I saw that you wrote the book and you also had a TED talk and it's it's just so inspiring. But so anybody's listening, Catherine is spelled with a K, K-A-T-H- R-Y-N, Bennett's got two N's and two T's, uh, but it'll be all in the show notes as well. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. I hope one day we can you know, have a cup of coffee, sit and talk some more. I, I, I enjoy, I will continue to watch. I will continue to support any way I can. And thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you sincerely. Thank you so much. You be well. Bye now. Thanks. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook podcast information the video version of our podcast is on youtube please subscribe audio is on all major podcasting platforms please follow them and if you like it please consider giving five star rating would really appreciate that would you like to financially support the podcast you can go to our patreon site consider five ten or twenty dollars a month there's all kind of plans that we have there it's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Penn's Discipline Conversations.